the Fantasy Focus Baseball Podcast. Here are your hosts, Tristan Cockroft and Eric Carabell. Hi there, welcome to Fantasy Focus Baseball. It's a beautiful Tuesday morning, February 5th, 2019. Baseball is coming up soon because football finally ended. We are today in Bucolic, Bristol, Connecticut for the MLB Summit. I'm with my friend Tristan H. Cockroft. Hello. Five, four days. And that's AJ Mass over there with a luscious beard. Well, You're looking yes. good. Thank you very much. It's my off season. Uh... <laughs> Still waiting for the Mets to make the playoff spirit, so it's going to get pretty long. Wow, you're going to look. Oh, man. <laughs> wow. That's going to look. That's going to hit the floor in five years. Uh, behind the glass today, by the way, we've got top researcher Kyle Sapi. As always, our courageous editorial watchdog Leo Howe and our producer Daniel Dopp, who also has a luscious beard. You guys can compare beards. How about that? Maybe if AJ's lucky, we can rub them together at the end of the show. See what happens. Get out the balloons. It's a party. (laughs) Podcast took a turn. So we are in town for the MLB Summit, all of us here in Bucolic, Bristol. And the MLB Summit's a little different than the the NFL Summit, I would think. Because the NFL Summit is like a week long. Hundreds of people show up. The food is catered. Um, There's like slides and presentations and important people showing up. And this MLB Summit, basically it's... Me, AJ, Tristan, and Leo going to the cafeteria for an hour. <laughs> so that's Ooh. that's the summit, right? There, there will be food. Well, we have to buy it. <laughs> but, uh, as long as there is food, I'm all good. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, uh, we won't. And as long as there's pitchers and catchers already, let's get it done. Yeah. So that's coming up soon. Five so, days. Five days, and uh, and then spring training games at the end of the month, mm-hmm. and then uh, you know we'll get into this in March, of course. But I think it's March 20th is Perfect. when uh, that series over. I believe so. Over yonder is being played. Who's um, playing in that? Is yonder playing? The A's of America. <laughs> it's Ishiro. It could be Ishiro's oh, last right. game. Yes. Yeah. Seattle and Oakland, right? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And Ishiro. that counts. Yeah. It, it counts. Let's and... bring in the editorial watchdog. Mm-hmm. So people are already asking me, Leo, on Twitter, and they ask lots of many thing, different things. But the March 20 games do count for ESPN, right? Absolutely. Yes. The March 20 games will be in the first scoring period of the, of the year. And Leo, by the way, if you draft after that point, they'll retroactively still count too, right? Correct. I know we've done that before. Yeah, they should. And then nice. the rest of the games start in 28th. March, right? Thursday the 28th. You know everything, don't you? Yep. All 30 teams play. All right. Well, then we should get to the news because you seem to know everything. Here's the buzz. All right. So the Patriots won. There's not a whole lot of baseball buzz going on, but players will sign. Stop whining. It's going to happen. Might not happen till March, <laughs> but it will happen. And I thought, and, uh, so, uh, Kyle solicits, uh, Twitter questions the night before every show. And I saw many of them. I don't know which ones he's going to ask in today's show in the second half, but, um, among the questions were, um, you know, what if you're, what if you have an AL only draft in the next two weeks? We, we do. We do. We have an AL and an NL only draft, and I think it's now become a legitimate question. There will I, be a I meaningful think... player who is not on a team as of labor. Harper and Machado, obviously the big ones. We talked about this in the last show. Kimbrough's I already another. know what you want. Let me uh, get your feeling on this, uh, AJ. So you're in an AL only. Uh, what do you bid on Harper, Machado, Kimbrell? Those are the main guys at this point. Yeah, well, you know, I think it, it depends on uh, when they come up. I think a lot of people are going to be hesitant to perhaps even uh, nominate them at an auction. Because they're gonna be like, well, well, do I do this now? Do I make go in for forty dollars on a guy who might not even be in the league? It's gonna be a, a problem. I would nominate him first and just let someone else take him. Uh, at least uh, you know you can then get their budget down a little bit more, and then you'll have more money later in the draft. And just assume that you just didn't didn't bid on these guys. I agree. And my my my, I want to be risk averse. 
in all my auctions and drafts for that matter. Uh, so to me, spending money or a draft pick on a player you might not have, now again, they could sign today, tomorrow. So it may not be a big deal. Probably well, while, well, you know, as soon as probably we say goodbye. Then <laughs> when we're all driving home, this is when Bryce Harper signs with the Phillies. I will point out that last year at the labor auctions, which were Jake roughly Arrieta March 1st, nine, yeah. there were several. And I remember Moustakis, I believe, was another one. Yeah, there was a yet. guy in my NL only at Labor, which is in Arizona the first weekend of March, Taldis two weeks later in New York City. Yes. There was a guy in my in my NL only who took like four or five unsigned guys. Yeah. Arietta was not one of them. Arietta went for a decent price and probably was overpriced because he didn't have a great season. Oh, I don't think he went for I think he, he went he, for like fifteen or so. Did he reach that much? In the NL, yeah, he did. In the yeah. AL, I think it was somewhere between six and eight. I, I think the the criteria for your league, whether you get to keep the player if he signs in the other league, comes into uh, into play there. In in labor, you have to cut the player immediately once he signs in the other league. But in some other ones, you can leave the guy on your bench all year. So uh, check your roles. When we always advise that. Well, let's, let's go through some strategy and basic strategy here for people that are wondering about about their auctions and drafts. And uh, AJ, of course, is the points league guy, and that's our standard at ESPN now. And uh, Tristan, you're the roto guy, and I'm just the host. So let's talk about what are you doing in the first round. <laughs> like or he doesn't two? have rakes here. Come on, <laughs> they're bad. What are we doing in the first round or two here? I'll get each of you to talk about your styles here. Um, is are you risk averse? Are you high end? And let's start it off with this, AJ. The difference between points and Roto, to those who may not have played points, may have forgotten, points is our standard now. So when people tweet in, I've got Jose Breo on a standard, they mean points, not Roto. I, I think some of them might be confused, but please go over the basic differences. Well, the basic difference is, um, you know, in, in a Roto league, it usually if you're a hitter, it doesn't matter how you get out because it's just your batting average will affect you. Maybe if you're playing in a on-base percentage league, that'll impact you. But strikeouts are just... Any old outs in a points league, it's going to dock you. You're going to lose a point for a strikeout. So certainly knowing uh, whether your hitter is someone who's going to strike out 33% of the time, I mean, that's going to have a huge uh, impact on, on the rankings there. So uh, you certainly have that. Also, extra base hits. They're not just hits. They uh, You get total bases in a points league. So doubles and triples guys uh, you know, going to add on their batting average on top of that the, any extra bases they get. So certainly those speedy guys who are going to run those extra bases out on their hits, uh, you know, triple counts three times as much as a single. So it, it does have an impact on the numbers. And Tristan, obviously in a roto, which you and I have played forever, and AJ has too. Let's not pretend he hasn't played it as well. The difference here is um, it's 10 categories. That's our standard, our basic uh, and everybody should know what those categories are at this point, but you could remind them. And then talk about the difference. Like, nobody wants Billy Hamilton in a points league, but in a Roto league, he has a lot of value, and then we'll get to AJ on closers and the differences there. Yeah, so stolen bases, since they're one point in a points league, you don't build around stolen bases. Billy Hamilton just doesn't contribute very much. The other major difference, though, is that plate discipline. Plate discipline matters for rotisserie leagues just from an analysis basis and projecting the players forward, but it doesn't dock you at all. There's no no category for walks or strikeouts. So the first two that come to mind are guys like Tim Anderson and Starling Marte. They're more valuable in rotisserie leagues. You could build around a guy like Marte. He's a top 25 potential player just because he fills the five categories on the offensive side. Batting average, home runs, RBI, stolen bases, runs scored. On the pitching side, it's wins, saves, ERA, whip, and strikeouts. And if you play the old traditional four, remember the four by fours? I do. The yeah. first, the original rotisserie rules were four by four, and you did not have runs scored for hitting, and you did not have strikeouts. Amazingly, you did not have strikeouts for pitching. So imagine playing in a game where you had wins, saves, ERA, and whip. 
Yeah, no, it's, it's very different. Whip might be the only like logical category in that original thing. I love that they added strikeouts to it. And of course, you have some of the, the, the advanced ones. I mean, I pitch every year getting rid of batting average for on-base percentage. You could add slugging percentage to your league. You could use total bases. On the pitching side, you could use saves plus holds. Eric, you, you and I talked about that last show, I think, uh, using saves plus holds. I like it holds. better than just saves. Yeah. yeah. Quality starts over wins uh, with the whole opener thing. That could come into play as well. But yeah, you asked about... um. About what's what our style is for drafting. I'm conservative early. Uh, AJ, you're probably not conservative early, but <laughs> in points leagues also, I the, the difference between the three of us and where we rank closers is really stark. Not Jason Stark, but Stark. I, I wait a long time. He's you know he his first ones will be like round six or seven. Yep. You'll take a top closer. Like where do you have Edwin Diaz in your rankings? Uh, I've got him in the third round, and then that's usually that's actually low. Or uh, usually where I have closers, I just think there's just so much uncertainty still into who's going to have these roles on a lot of these teams here. And with Familia around, I, I don't know how the Mets are going to use him necessarily. Is, is he going to get vultured a little bit there towards the end? But, uh, you know, saves are worth five points. And if you have a top closer who is presumably going to pitch maybe four times a week, uh, that's a much greater opportunity for points than a starter who's only going to get one start a week. You know, it's it it it's just the innings are going to be there. The ratios uh, you don't have to worry about because it's points. So any strikeout gets you a point. It doesn't matter what the ratios are. Uh, it, it's it's just a different game because it's all counting stats. And so you want a guy who's going to uh, pitch as much as possible. And the top closers pitch on the regular. Uh, and because those saves are worth five points, you know your average starting pitcher uh, who's like an ace is going to get you eighteen points perhaps for the week. Uh, closer might only get you six a game, but if he pitches three times, now you're talking he's in the same neighborhood. So mm-hmm. your roster construction for a pitcher, an active, like in a roto league, it would be like six starting pitchers, three closers. Do you do the same thing in a points league? I think I think you certainly can, and a lot of players do, but because a lot of players do, I've always advocated the one ace, one guy who you know is going to pitch six innings every time they're out. And there, there are not a lot of them anymore who pitch six innings every time. But if you have a pitcher who pitches around six innings each appearance, uh, and then you just load up with nothing but closers. I think that is actually the best strategy as long as your league doesn't put any restrictions on how many innings you need to pitch. I totally hate being in points leagues with you because this is, <laughs> yes, this is like, I do, yeah. this is the strategic tweak that you are maximizing every time. And you and I are battling over these closers because there's no limit on how much you can use of a relief pitcher in a points league. Drives me crazy. You and I are always the ones taking closers, and people are like, well, why are, they, why are they loading up with five to seven closers in this points league? Because we can use them. When our starters aren't starting, we can use them. Exactly. And also, you know, the multiple times per week, uh, even if they, even if they're not getting saves or put in safe situations, you know the closers work. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, you get two strikeouts in one inning out of four different closers on a day. You know, a lot of starting pitchers aren't even reaching the fifth inning these days. Or, you know, if they are, they're getting pulled immediately. So... There's not a difference between a number five starting pitcher and having four solid closers. So let's talk about the early, uh, the first round of each for, for each of us here. I've got Mike Trout as the first pick. I believe Tristan, you have the you same do. thing. Wow, I didn't know that. But AJ, do you agree with that? Is Mookie Betts better? Is Max Scherzer better? Because the ace of all aces, I think, is Max Scherzer at this point. It might be Chris Sale. But do you take in a points league a starting pitcher like that over any hitter? Um, I, th- I think you certainly can, and in, certainly in past seasons, I mean, Kershaw has kind of been like the number three, four guy uh, off the board for me. I don't certainly have as much confidence in Kershaw, Kershaw these days. I mean, you know, he's my back of, hurts just talking about. Yeah, it. Yeah, exactly. You know that there's this worry there. Uh, you know, I don't think you can go wrong with either Betts or Trout. I have Betts slightly ahead 
uh, this season as my number one, but Tress my number two. So I'm certainly not going to quibble over you know one spot there. Uh, in terms of starting pitchers, I do have two in my first round. I have Sale and Scherzer both in my first round. So uh, I'm not averse to going with the starting pitcher first simply because I'm not worried about categories. Right. So I don't need the guy who's going to get all the home runs as long as I have a bunch of guys who are going to get me enough points to compensate. Tristan, how many starting pitchers are in your first round? Oh, I believe I had two, but one was borderline. Yeah, I had Scherzer and I have Sale. Scherzer's at seven, Sale's at ten. Um, I think the bigger takeaway on mine was that I had five starting pitchers in my top 20. Uh, actually, I have six starting pitchers in my top 25. Top 20, I've got – did I drop one? Yeah, I did drop Verlander. I have four in my top 20. So, like, what's the difference here when it comes to starting pitchers? It would seem to me, you talked about the closers earlier, if we know that there's only, say, like 10 we can count on, that should up their value and we should take them earlier because we don't want to take a chance on whoever's closing for Seattle or, you know, teams like that. Is that is it the same with starting pitching? Because I've noticed in the drafts that I've done so far, I don't really like a lot of the starting pitchers after, like, the top, say, 30 or so, and then I'm taking chances with Kyle's guy, Porcello, and I don't want to do that. So, Hey, like, hey, you definitely don't want to do that. <laughs> So, like, Tristan, what's the difference here? Like, if, if there's not enough of the closers and ace starting pitchers, wouldn't you take them earlier? Yeah, and, and that's kind of my theory behind my, my rankings for starting pitchers, why I have closers, even though I, I don't feel good about taking a closer in the fifth or sixth round. The reason I have them there is that I do think the value over replacement for the premier players uh, has expanded. In the past two years, we've seen a lot fewer ERA qualifiers. Last year alone, Major League record all time, 57 ERA qualifiers. Only 57 meet the, met the 162 inning threshold for qualifying for ERA. So when you get a durable ace, the guys we mentioned before, the Scherzers, the Sales, the Corey Klubers, the Jacob deGroms and the like, they're going to give you a locked in 30 plus starts, 200 plus innings pitch. It has a bigger impact, AJ, and you can, you can, I'm sure back this one up, has a bigger impact, I think, in points leagues than it does in Roto, but in Roto, it is really caught up, and I think there is a distinct advantage to getting that guy that gives you that 40, 50 more innings than the ones you're going to get in the middle rounds. So to me, I am going to go a little bit more points-oriented, take an ace, and then try to piece together the rest of my staff. I, I actually had done the one before. You'd seen the modified Labadini one, where the Labadini plan was the one where you take nine $1 pitchers in an auction. Well, my modification on this one is take an ace and then wait on pitching until the end. I think you can piece it together, but you do need that leading man. So, AJ, why would Clayton Kershaw be, say, among your top 10 starting pitchers if there's risk of him missing a third of the season for the third straight year? Well, because we're not talking about drafting a pitcher for the entire season. We're, we're playing in a points league. It's head-to-head. -head. It's a weekly basis. Uh, you know, any given week, you know, a pitcher goes into cores and gives up eight runs. You know, you've probably lost him for that, for that week. It's going to kill your team. So, uh, in terms of matchup games, you might not want to start your ace even every single week if the matchup is really that bad for you and you have alternative options with better matchups. But also, you know, if a guy like Kershaw gets hurt, you replace him with, again, like this huge tier of replacement level pitchers there. It's because it's a weekly game. Is, you're not as concerned uh, looking long-term for the entire season as you would perhaps in, in, in a Roto League. And that's important because I do find that people draft based on all six months, whereas you can change your roster every week or every day, depending on what the format is. And you shouldn't be thinking of, like, you should be thinking of Kershaw plus who's that pitcher, you know, like that you could add maybe Chris Paddock of the Padres comes up for a third of the season. Mm -hmm. Those two combined are one slot. I, I don't think that people in traditional mixed leagues understand how much roster churn there is. It has increased 
lately, especially talking about that that the the pitching workloads and the shifting over the past couple of years. I don't think people realize how often you're going to turn over the bottom two thirds of your roster. And to that point, it makes a lot more sense to lock in a leading guy and then just wait. And then just not not worry about the six month uh, span. Take take upside, guys. I just took Nathan Evaldi in a draft uh, a, maybe a couple of days ago, simply because I wanted his per start ability. That's it. I don't care if it's fifteen starts. I wanted him just because I know I'm going to use him for those fifteen, and they're going to be high level starts. I'd rather have that guy than the thirty inning pitched middling skill set. You know, maybe a near four ERA guy. I, I think it's better to just kind of take the guy who's going to give you a great, great impact in one game. All right, let's name some players here so people have some names to go with. And uh, and players I think might be different for the two of you and for me, you know, for that matter. Um, so we already mentioned Kershaw. We're avoiding the Royal shortstop. Joey Votto. Let's talk about him briefly. And all these players will be brief so we can get through the first half of the show. Obviously, much different value in a points league and a roto league. Tristan, let's start with you. Where do you have him ranked and why? So Votto for me right now is 52nd overall, and he's my fifth first baseman. And I did move him up. It's it's kind of inching him up a little bit here. I actually think there's going to be a good degree of rebound for him. He was pretty unlucky last season. He did stay fairly healthy, which was a big plus. One of the things that was a big problem with his his weaker years over the past decade were that he missed time because of injury. Not the case last season. Um, he still put up a, a high-end on-base percentage, got some unlucky bounces on balls in play. If anything bothered me, it was the decline in power, but I think that could come back. He's in the right ballpark for it. Yeah, and traditionally, you know, when you've put together like the poster child for who's a much better yep. points league player. It, it's Joey Votto um, because, like you said, you lose points for strikeouts, you get points for walks. So anytime you have a player who's going to have more walks in a season than strikeouts, which is pretty much what Votto is, um, that's a net plus that few other people are, are going to produce for you. Um, you know, certainly he's gotten a little older. Uh, I'm not as solid on his production across the board. So instead of him being like one of these guys that you automatically put in your top 10 points leagues just because he's Joey Votto, I think, you know, age has caught up to him a little bit here. I mean, still my number five first baseman. That's not necessarily, that's not bad. But, um, you know, he's a borderline top 50 player, whereas in the past in points leagues, he's been a top 25 player. Want a geeky stat on him? I like this one. one. Yeah, I do. (laughs) Do we still have this geeky stat drop or should I do it live? Do it live. It's much better. The geeky stat of the day. Holy freak out. The geek is going berserk. Was that live or was that taped? Oh, I don't know. You'll you'll never know the difference. (laughs) Joey Votto, he had a 647 batting average on his line drives put into play. 75 points below his career mark. And uh, that would tell me that he's bouncing back. (laughs) Yeah. He was unlucky. Yeah. Okay. When I found that one, I, I got much more on board. I probably moved him up about 10, 12 overall spots. That's after I told you to do that two weeks ago. And you were right. <laughs> hey, you um, talked me into a lot, so smart guy. Briefly here, Javier Baez versus Jose Altuve. I noticed, Tristan, that I have Baez ranked ahead of Altuve, and you do not. AJ, break the tie. Uh, I have Altuve as my number 11 player, and uh, Baez is my number 17. Uh, you know, I've always been an Altuve fan, so that's probably not a surprise there that, uh, you know, I just have a lot of affection for him. I think he's going to bounce back in a, in a pretty big way. Uh, there's not a huge amount of difference other than the fact we're talking, you know, the different positions here. And I, I just think Altuve, um, just is going to be a lot safer pick. Even with the injuries, the offseason surgery. Uh, yeah. I, I, well, I, I got to assume when you're talking, you're talking middle infield, I, I, I think, his production, assuming he bounces back, is going to be better. Um, you like to say you're risk averse, and I'm not as risk averse normally. With pitching, I am just because pitching is, is 
it, it, it can destroy your team a lot more because each pitcher's uh, percentage of your, of your points league, it, it's so much more intrinsic. There's so many more negative points in pitching. One bad outing can blow up your team. Mm-hmm. Whereas, you know, in, in hitting, you know, even an 0 for 4 doesn't kill you all that much. Two over fours doesn't kill you because all you got to do is go three for four the next day, and if their extra base hits, you're right back on the positive side. So I just think Altuve for me, yeah, obviously every player has injury risk, and, and there's the surgery involved here, but I just am a lot more confident in Altuve becoming again what he was. Do you think bias repeats? Is Probably that not. what? Is that what? I, I, my concern is with Altuve's health and stealing bases in a roto league. In a points league, obviously, a little bit different here, mm-hmm. and the fact that bias doesn't walk. Could be a problem in a points league. Right. In a roto league, it's not as much of a problem if he can do like Vlad used to and hit 280 anyway. I'm actually not a, as big a fan in a points league of either player. I think they take a little bit of a hit. Both of them do. The Baez concern for me is that last year looked like an adjustment year. He made a big shift on trying to hit the first pitch. This is what he does well, and he swung a lot more often on first pitches, and then pitchers tried to challenge him with off-speed stuff on the first count. And I feel like there's going to be some give back as a result of that. So, like, there's risk with him just like there is with Altuve. Altuve's numbers before he got those injuries were still like they were during his prime. And I don't want to write him off. I mean, like we talked about Chris Bryant. It kind of falls in the same bin as that. Why do we want to write off a guy based on one injury where the stats bore it out over the second half of the year that the injury clearly explained the problem? Right. And on top of that, you know, you are talking about a guy who might be afraid to steal bases, uh, at least initially, because of the injury. And you know, in a in a category based format, that that's an issue. Mm-hmm. Points least. I don't care if he gets on base. He, that, that, yeah. I've got my points. Where do you guys have Vlad Guerrero Jr.? Obviously, if you're not risk averse, you could. You know, I, I think he might hit 300, and I think he's going to hit for power. I think he's coming up two weeks into the season. But um, are, is it different in a points league as a roto, or you just want a guy who's going to be great no matter what? I mean, we're, we're, he's such a he's such a unique case because I mean we're talking about a guy who you know oh four hundred no problem in the minor <laughs> leagues I mean it, this is such a a unique case I mean I am very high on him uh, you know from a personal standpoint uh, Dante Bichette was my favorite uh, ball player for for a number of years and so I've been more team Bo in terms of the, the Blue Jays prospects uh, but he's certainly you know in terms of drafting you have to go with Vlad real early if you're going to get him especially in a dynasty league I mean he's probably going to be taken first couple of rounds first just, two rounds in a dynasty are you dynasty. absolutely yeah. are you in a points league top 50 on him uh yeah I got him I have Vlad at number 38 okay and he's in and my top 52. and and I I'm I'm not as concerned with him in terms of uh you know there are a lot of there are a lot of uh hitters out here who people are going to steer clear of because they're like super strikeout guys mm-hmm. and people have learned that strikeouts are are dangerous but it's almost uh, at the point now in the cycle where people are overreacting to the heavy strikeouts so you know you got a guy like uh, perhaps Joey Gallo for example who you know, you could take a prop bet on whether or not which is higher, his number of strikeouts or his batting average, and it, it's so you don't care about his his batting average in a point, so you care about the strikeouts in a roto. If he bats, you know, two fifteen, whatever, that's really a problem, right? I mean, see, this is the thing; he fits the contact profile I would like in a points league, but in a roto league, Guerrero's talent, and I'm thinking his power and the raw power potential, especially in that ballpark, which I know that that Roger Center has not played as well for home runs over the past couple of years, but traditionally over the past decade, it's been a power friendly park, and I think he can exploit that. By the way, last year, minor league leader in batting average with a three eighty one. Slugging percentage with a 636, OPS with a 1073, an 
and weighted runs created plus with a 194. Those are Hall of Fame caliber numbers. Extraordinary talent. I think he's going to be really, really good. I just hope he's up opening day. I mean, please get him on this I, team quickly. It'll, it'll yeah. be two weeks. It'll be mid-April, like the Chris Bryant situation. Don't worry. Fernando Tatis, that's different. Yeah, yeah <laughs> that might be a yeah. while. Eloy Jimenez, that might be a while. But I really believe Vlad's going to be up right away. We all have him ranked so well. So. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, coming up after this, Kyle Sapi comes in and tells us about the Twitter hash browns that you guys have been asking, and we will answer those questions. Yeah, love that music. Oh yeah. All right, we're going to try to get to a lot of names here because we didn't really do that in the first half of the show. So, Kyle, what do you got? Yeah, we got a lot of engagement on the tweet, so always we're going to be taping Mondays and Thursdays throughout the show, so shoot me your questions Sunday night, Wednesday night, and we'll get them on the show. Robert is the first to weigh in here. He wants to know which top five starting pitcher is most likely to not return draft day value. Interesting question here. Now, if you've got Kershaw ranked in your top five, I would say him, but I don't think anybody does at this point. I do, but it's it's very close. So, you, What about Sale? He missed the starts last year. Nobody seems to be talking about that <laughs> is it DeGrom I mean are we worried that DeGrom just goes back to where he was in previous seasons and and the greatness I, I know you don't want to say that AJ guys a Mets fan <laughs> but I mean it's certainly possible that like DeGrom encounters some problems like he you know, he never he, he was great before but he wasn't top five before I, I think DeGrom's skills are pretty rock solid he made some adjustments last year that I think lock him in as a top five kind of so guy who is your answer here to the I, top five pitch I think that when we mentioned Sale and Kershaw because of the injury question, they're the ones that obviously pop off the page. From a skill standpoint, I want to throw a curve. Uh-oh. Corey Kluber. Why does everybody think I, he's, he's falling apart? I don't think he's falling apart. And I, and I have him in my top five, and I'm very confident in him being in the top five. But we really should not be just dismissing the fact that the guy did have a knee issue at the midpoint of last year. And when he did, the K rate plummeted 21%. In the seven starts he had after that knee injury last year, if he comes into this season with any question of injury, he could drop back a couple of tiers. All right, fair enough. Yeah, I mean, I don't even I don't have him in my top five, but it's like it's like a thin sliver that's separating uh, him from Kershaw. So he's like my number six, but he's my by five B. Ever so briefly, where's the line for you, ace wise? And what is an ace? The guy that can. You know, be at the top of your rotation. Is it is it number ten? Is it Syndergaard? Is it fifteen? Does it go deeper than that? Each of you, like, where's the line where you say, "Now I'm concerned." Um, you know, obviously it varies year by year. Uh, there's no hard line in this in the sand, but I would think is is there a pitcher out there who, in terms of points leagues for me, is going to uh, definitely get me sixteen points per start on average? Like that's that's where my line is. It's it's at sixteen. Uh, in terms of that right now, I really only go eight deep on that. I, I think there's a lot of question marks in the middle. So, you know, I'm only going probably as deep as Garrett Cole on that. I would go to five as the A-plus grade pitchers, which is Justin Verlander at five. Kluber, by the way, is four, so he's part of that. So <laughs> don't misread what I'm saying for panic. So those are the A-pluses. The ones I would grade A, I would probably stop at Carlos Carrasco at 12. Noah Syndergaard was in this group, in the ones I would have graded a I, I wonder a little bit about the workload. I could make the case for him going in. I could make the case for Walker Bueller at 14 going in. I mean, you also look at my, I mean, you look at my, where I have him ranked. Uh, my number 13 pitcher is Patrick Corbin, who's at number 74 overall. And then my next pitcher is Zach Renke at 96. So there's a clear tier, a tier. There's yeah. clearly a tier there where there's a drop off. All right, Kyle, what's next? Tony wants to know if last season will be the best offensive season we see from Matt Chapman. Is he a better real life player than future fantasy asset? 
Well, he's a tremendous defensive player, obviously. He's Nolan Arenado defensively. He's not that offensively because he doesn't play in the same ballpark. If Matt Chapman played in Coors Field, he might be putting up those numbers. Um, I think part of this depends on where he bats in the order. If he bats second again, he's not going to knock in a lot of runs. Either of you have any strong feelings here on Matt Chapman? I, I actually do. I love this guy. He was my, my, my player last season. He changed his game a lot. Uh, he lowered his launch angle a lot. Remember, he was a big power guy who did it at the expense of batting average. His 5.2 degree launch angle drop last year was the seventh largest drop of any player who qualified. So he was going more for line drives and raising the batting average. And he actually did not give up all that much power. I call this an improving player. I do think you should be drafting him, treating him, valuing him around where you finish on the player radar. But I think there's growth potential here. Yeah, and you know, we, we say not to necessarily look at batting average when you're looking at points leagues players, but it is something to, to notice when you're talking about a guy who you would not be surprised to hit 270. It wouldn't shock you from Matt Chapman. I throw that into a points league format and you're definitely looking at someone who probably should be taken sooner rather than later. Absolutely. All right. Kyle, what do we got? Just building on that, AJ mentioned the batting average. Chapman hit 278 for the year, but 309 in the second half. Which do you think he's closer to this year? Because he batted second. I think he saw different pitches. That's possible. He he kind of shortened the swing. He cut he cut 5% off his K rate. I mean, I think he's emerging into a, a potential 30, 35 home run guy. He bats 270, and that would be a top 50 player for sure. I mean, we're talking maybe Arenado out of Coors Field. Is this what Nolan Arenado would look like out of Coors Field? And by the way, Arenado out of Coors Field... You, you wouldn't take him in the first round. No, I think you'd take him in the second round. I still think he'd be an exceptional player, but the batting average would tumble a little bit. All right, what's next? All right, Mark wants to know, can Jamison Tyone continue to make the leap forward and potentially be a top 15 pitcher? And then along with that, he wants to know if you want Tyone or Jack Flaherty in a dynasty league. Hmm. Either of you have strong feelings on any of these pitchers. I, I, I'm a big Jack Flaherty fan. I was a little surprised to see the rankings of not just – you guys, but like other people who don't seem to like Flaherty as much as I do, and I'm wondering why that is. Is it, a, is it strikeout rate concerns? Uh, is it, it opportunities, obviously, there? Uh, but which of you guys, do either of you have Tyone or Flaherty ranked a lot ahead of the other? I mean, it's 10 spots a lot. Yeah, that's, that's, that's a lot. That's a yeah, lot. Yeah, you, I mean, you have Tyone over Flaherty. I have Tyone over Flaherty, and for me, it's because one of the major stats in a points league when I look at pitchers, it's the K to BB rate. And if it is a Far below 350. 3.5 is like the line. And, you know, we're projecting pretty much Flaherty to be under three. Um, that's that's not a place you want to be. He just walks far too many hitters, and he isn't one of those uh, 10K per nine guys. So right. that that's an issue for me. Whereas a guy like Tyone, is, you know, the KBB is, we projected 4.2. That's fantastic. I, that, yeah. I, I mean, that in, the ballpark. You know, in a points league, yes, uh, that is a huge difference maker. You agree? I would I would challenge you on the ten percent K rate. That's one thing I do like about Flaherty a lot is that that slider is exceptional, but that's just about it. That's about where the story ends, I think, until he adjusts with the rest of his pitches at the major. I league think level. Flaherty could be Clevenger. Kind, yeah, Clevenger's got the curve too, though. So he's well, I'm got not talking two about pitches. the pitches. I'm talking about the stats. Right, like, I think he right. can make that step up, strike out more than a batter per inning. Keep his ERA lower. I, I think Flaherty makes a step up. I, 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 you know what? I like the comp because in a year from now, he could be getting to where Clever, Clevenger is saying. today. So That's you're right. On, on the, the points of their career curve, sure. Tyone, he's proven it. So Tyone's difference is, if want to talk slider, he leaned on that a heck of a lot more in the final four months of last season. And when he did, his numbers went up in terms of K's uh, 
Let's see, where's the K rate for him? I can't even dig up my K rate quickly enough. So at any rate, uh, his ERA in those 21 starts was 263, 115 whip. The walk rate was 5.4%. So he made a major change to the pitch selection he threw, and he gave up nothing in terms of control. I think this guy's got more room to step forward. I'm a big Tyone guy. All right, there you go. Kyle, what else we got? We had a bunch of questions on the red, so I'm going to lump them all together here. Which do you like most coming into the season, and if you wouldn't mind explaining why, between Winker, Senzel, and Peraza? Hmm. Very different players here, obviously. Um, and, and in points league especially. like Jesse Winker, to me, is a points league bargain uh, because he's a walker. He should hit for a decent average. And I do think the power will be developing. I think he could hit like 20 home runs. Peraza is a guy who steals bases, which aren't as valuable in a points league. But in a roto league, Tristan, Peraza, you can make a case for top 100. And then there's Senzel, who, unless he's playing center field, doesn't really have a place to play. But draft the skills, not the opportunity yet. So for me, in a roto league, I would have to draft Peraza first. Because how many guys are going to steal 30, 35 bases? Not that many. And then I would take, then I would take Winker. I just don't trust that Senzel will get more than 300 plate appearances. Uh, AJ, you go first here. And, well, and I think to, to your point, I think with Winker, it is all about the playing time issue. Is he going to get you know a full season's worth of at bats here or not? I'm not entirely sure that I can lock him in for 500 at bats, and so that's why I have him a little bit lower than perhaps I would if I knew for sure 500. If you, if, say they say he's a left fielder. And they're not going to play Mac. We're going to grant all three the same amount of playing time. Well, I mean, say. I think Senzel, I think is the is the real concerning guy for playing time. But like Winker could walk ninety times if they yes. played him full time. So in a points league, that's a top hundred player. Isn't, isn't with the injury though the Winker question about playing time about as valid as Senzel's? I think Senzel's I big knock is it's about Matt Kemp though. I think Senzel's big knock is just that we don't know the position. They're going to be experimenting with him in center field, but he can and, hit. He, and he also is coming of another injury himself. So I, I get where you're coming from on that. There's a lot to like about all three though. Is there a lot to like about Peraza, or is he just like that typical There's 10, a lot to like. 10 home or 30 steel guy? Is there more growth? So over the final half of the Reds year last year, his slash line was 305, 338, 473 at one of the best contact rates in all of baseball. That's Where'd a that lot of from. I mean, like, honestly, like, like how is Jose Peraza yeah. doing that? And, and you remember, I've not been a very big Jose Peraza fan because I didn't think that the plate discipline was there, but the contact is, is now elite. And he didn't do it at the expense of anything else. Added a little pop, right ballpark for it, and he steals bases. There's a lot to like. He was, by the way, 49th in the player rater. He was 67th overall among all players in fantasy points. That was because of the stolen bases. I, you know, I'd argue it was not because of the stolen bases. I'd argue it's because he makes contact at an elite rate. I think that's the the, the takeaway. Uh, briefly, overrated, underrated, Puig. We ranking him high enough? Overrated. The, I think the industry he, loves him. The industry does love him. Suarez, the third baseman, underrated vastly. He's yeah. Should be is, a top. Is he going to become trendy though? He hasn't yet. Yeah, I know, but I'm wondering because I, I love. I don't Suarez. trust Puig. I do trust Suarez at this point. Somebody tell me what what is it about Puig? Why does everybody love Puig? Puig? Puig can hit 25 homers in L.A. Look what he could do in Cincinnati, and he can steal 15, 20 bases if he wants. He really could. It, it, it does he want? I mean, I just don't I know. Think that's the issue. The issue with Puig is that we're we're just we're, yes, we're all afraid that he's not going to want. We just we love the park switch. I get it. Park effects. Well, all right, Puig was but, a valuable player in the past. Yeah. And a very streaky player in the past. Oh yeah, he can't hit lefties all of a sudden. The last two seasons. Can someone explain that? He doesn't hit lefties. I can't explain that. There's there's a bunch of players out there who are just right-handed batters who just stopped hitting lefties. I don't know why that is. Yeah. Puig, I I I'm not investing in Puig. I do think Suarez is a guy. I, if he slips out of like the top five rounds, 
They're gonna they're gonna go in about the same spot, and I'm all day Suarez over Puig. Are you? Oh, oh, I don't think it's close. I'm I'm wondering if Puig's a top hundred option. Well, I could make the case for top hundred, but I'm not. I'm not high on. I'm not them. sold on it right here without looking. Reds are a very interesting team, and they may not be done yet. And you know, the thing is also about the the positions. You know, shortstop is so deep. So we're talking about Peraza. Um, you know, I have Peraza in my top 100, but that's just pure rankings. You know, he's also my number 13 shortstop. I just think shortstop is so stacked that you know, you'll get to that point where the best shortstops are all taken off the board, and you can afford to wait a lot longer on him, even though he's ranked high, a lot higher than where he's going to be taken. So I, I think that factors into it. Uh, I, shortstop is just so deep but at can, the top. Can the three of us all agree that there's no position scarcity this year? Like, draft the best available player. Oh, Don't there, worry about first base or third base. First five rounds, I'm totally with you. Always draft best best player available first five rounds. Okay. Then see where you are in terms of where your tiers are. Oh, yeah, that I agree with. But, like, you shouldn't be reaching for a guy. Like, you shouldn't be ignoring first base in round seven because you think, oh, I can just get one ten rounds later. You might not be right. able to. Right, no, right. absolutely, absolutely. First base is the sneaky, thin I think third base season. is deeper than first base. Third base is definitely deeper. I, I, I And that might just be our, our personal preferences on the players. Catcher and relief pitcher are thin, though. It doesn't mean I'm changing my draft strategy. AJ, I think you hit it, hit, hit the nail, whatever, whatever the cliche thing is. Uh, yeah, I'm not changing my draft strategy to take a catcher earlier, and I'm going to try to avoid spending a premium on a closer. But the top guys do matter. All right, Kyle, what's next? All right, we've got one more. Dan wants you to basically win his league for him. He helped, you helped him out with Mitch Hanniger last season. He wants to know who's the mid-level outfielder, kind of off-radars this year that could help win leagues this year. Winker. I do think Winker can hit more than 20 home runs. I love Winker. He is right. I mean, they could play Matt Kemp over. Every league that's non-traditional, everything other than the, the standard traditional rotisserie 5x5 five five mixed, you know, 10 or 12 team, everything else, I love Winker. But shouldn't we be past the point now where if a guy did not hit for power in the minors, he, he could easily do it in the majors? It's a different baseball, uh, different ballparks, different pitching. I mean, like we've seen this in the past. Like, Ozzy Albies didn't have the best power second half, but early on, he was a monster uh, for hitting home runs. I just don't think, like, if a guy gets promoted now and we say, well, he didn't hit for power in the minors, that doesn't mean he won't do it in the majors, right? Oh, absolutely. I mean, even if it's something as simple as the pitchers are throwing harder in the majors and therefore he's getting more ricochet off the bat, you don't know how that much will enter into it either. Although we'll probably say that his, you know, exit angle isn't proper just yet, (laughs) you know. I mean, I love analytics, but I think there's a point where fantasy players over analytics, uh, in terms of these, you know, the new stats are so great and wonderful. Yeah, they tell us something, but until we know for sure what they tell us, let's not like buy in on that. I mean, in terms of an outfielder, I, I mean, I think Victor Robles is someone oh, who yeah. I am so totally for a dynasty league, especially. Uh, he has the uh, potential to be a top five outfielder in like two years. Oh, AJ Bryce Harper just resigned with the Nationals. Sorry, he's not playing. No, that, I mean I'm I'm kidding. I'm You're com- joking, I'm right? completely kidding. <laughs> okay. But it could happen, and yeah, that'd but, be a shame. But they if we're so if we're that. so excited about Soto after what he did last year, yeah, you know, and and Robles was was he was ranked higher. He was considered a better prospect. Higher. Nobody thought Soto was going to be promoted when he was. Exactly. Well, everything went right for Soto, and he is an exceptional pro- prospect. I'll give him that. But Robles, he had one of the most unlucky years in terms of injury and everything just going against him. I, if, I, if you're it, taking Soto in the, in the top 50, uh, and I can I can get Robles like at number 75, I'm taking him. And but, I think he'll get him later than that. I think it'll yeah. be a wider divide. What are we projecting on Robles? Is it 12 homers and 35 steals? 
I think that's fair, considering the current circumstances. Yeah, he's, he he needs to play in the majors. That's another guy who could be two weeks in the minors, but he'll be up. I think he's their starting center fielder right away. I, I really have do. To think so. And he'll be betting ninth and, you know. Eighth. Oh, I think he'll be betting ninth. Really? <laughs> I think those, they're going to play second leadoff guy oh. there. And oh, you know how boy. they do. Come on, it's no longer, after Madden, it's no longer way. a thing. Oh, he is better off he's for better steals off that, that way. way yeah, but that's, and that's what I'm saying, yeah. I'll ask you one other outfielder because I'm curious where you two stand on him. Hunter Renfro. You know, I'm I'm debating whether to draft him in a league actually right oh, now. Oh, there's just interest in <laughs> <Yeah>. Bryce Harper. <laughs> <laughs> well done. Well done. You know what, what, what's surprising me? Uh, Renfro, obviously great power and a legitimate, like, he could be a 40 home run guy without yeah. the plate discipline. Like, he could be Miguel Sano. And Sano isn't that guy. He yet. proved the plate discipline ever so slightly last year. And, you know, San Diego, talk about San Diego's ballpark. It's not what it used to be for park factors. Oh, yeah. Right? I got You know what? I got to dig up the like, park. Like, people just assume number. you can't hit in San Diego. You can hit in San Diego. You can hit for power. He can hit 30. I, Hunter Renfro, if I, if I say 32 and a half home runs over under. Give me the number again. Sorry. 32 and a half. He never listens. AJ, you go first. <laughs> I'm looking at the park. <laughs> you know, I, I mean, it, you know, I, I have been 30. Home runs, so I'd he could do it under, under, but not not certainly uh, scarily. It's an under. interesting outfit. Yeah. It's an actually a very interesting team because right now they have four outfielders, which you say they should be playing regularly. Margot could play center, uh, Franchi Cordero could play center, and then they have Franmil Reyes and Hunter Renfro with big power, no plates. And Will Myers, where's he going to play? And Will Myers is in that outfield because he's not playing third. They declared him they, outfield. They said he's playing outfield. So they have extra outfielders yeah. in San Diego. They don't yeah. have a third baseman yet. Of course, I don't have the, the park factors on this one. <laughs> but it, it, was about, it was something like 18th for home runs. Right, it, was it was middle of the, the pack. It was not the worst. Yeah, and I mean, I don't like to lean too much on the one-year numbers, but there's been a, a, a surefire increase in terms of the power. With that over-under, I think I'd take the over. I question all the other skills, though. You know, when we were talking earlier about uh, minor leaguers who didn't hit for a ton of power, the first name that came to my mind was a Padre. It was Luis Urias. And the second was Keston Cura. Who, uh, Milwaukee. These are both second yeah. baseman, middle infielders who did yeah. not hit for power or steal many bases. And I think they're overrated in fantasy, but then I think, well, why can't, if they're good hitters, good contact guys, why can't they hit 15, 18 home runs right away? That's, that's the new normal now for this baseball. I, yeah, I suppose it's possible. I, I think, I think Arias is going to have some adjustments to make before he could get to that, that level of power. I think it's all going to be batting average and stolen bases for him. I don't think he's going to steal that many bases. Here is a really interesting guy to stash with what the Brewers are planning. They don't really have a second baseman right now. Well, yeah, they're talking this Corey Spangenberg and Hernan Perez, and who's the third? There's a third. Oh, Tyler Saladino. They're doing a three-man rotation at second base. Which could be for two weeks. <laughs> yep, right. And then Hira gets promoted. I kind of like Hira. What are your thoughts here on, on what I'm saying about like the baseball and minor leaguers coming up with single-digit home runs and then all of a sudden doing what Ozzy Albies did? You know, it, it's one of these things where obviously you can't predict the skill set making that improvement. But to your point, we've seen it time and again where once they get up here and they get comfortable, and you know maybe it's something as simple as they're staying in better hotels and they're they're, they're traveling on <laughs> on planes better. and so instead of buses, you know that little extra bite of Wheaties in the morning can go a long way in terms of just making them more comfortable at the plate. I, I think that could factor into it. I don't think it turns a, a you know an eight homer guy into a thirty homer guy. Certainly, I think we shouldn't expect that, but. Yeah, eight homers to fifteen homers is not that huge of, of a leap here. I, I don't think that you should expect it, but I also don't think you should be surprised by it. No, 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 no! I ate my weenies. What is wrong with you? I don't know. <laughs> I'm getting looks from over there behind the glass. You're like dancing, so. like it's like they're waiting for me to sing something. You're dancing for Dop. 
That's like a new thing. Um, all right, so it's a new segment for our show. <laughs> Tristan dancing for Dop. Um, all right, so today's February fifth. Our next show is scheduled to be two weeks from today. Um, and spring training um, games will not have started, but players have reported. Who knows where the, some of the free agents? We have will to be. do like an emergency show when these, once these guys sign. You know, just watch. They're going to sign ten minutes after we finish this. We will go back to our Monday Thursday schedule sometime in early March, and that that will be for the six month duration of the season. So let me ask you guys. I know you've done some drafts. You have some coming up. Maybe you're in the middle of one or two. Um, what are you going to learn over the next couple of weeks? Like, I, don't talk about Harper Machado. That'll happen on its own. But like, are you changing your rankings based on information you're finding, based on what people are telling you? AJ, you go first. What's changing for you in the next two weeks? Okay, you know, barring barring player time, playing time situations with the signings, I don't change my rankings. Uh, th- these are my projections. This is this is what they are going to be, and I'm fairly locked into them. What is going to change is as I do mock drafts and I see which players I am so much higher on than others. That'll tell me which players I can wait those extra two rounds on. Uh, I, I think that's the that's the benefit of mock drafts. Don't let other people change your rankings because they don't have the same opinion of these players as you. But be aware of them so that you can take advantage of this perception that that is different there, and that that's how you can steal a player. I can wait one one round on this guy. I can't wait on this guy. I'm going to make sure I, I get them both. Excellent point, Tristan. Worst time to listen to the news because it's the best shape of my life period of the schedule. So ignore that part and check the draft trends. What I'm looking for are the three things we always bring up as questions. Where are catchers going? Where are stolen bases going? And where are starting pitchers going? I'm not seeing catchers being drafted aggressively. I like seeing that. Stolen bases. You have to have a distinct strategy. I'm seeing stolen bases drying up pretty quickly. So I've got to adapt to that. And and for starting pitchers, I am seeing people adapting to the fact that the game is getting more specialized and they are taking these skills pitchers. So again, I have to adapt to that. I'm going to slow draft right now with you, Tristan. It's a 15 teamer and it's like 50 rounds. And I'm finding like when I look at the available players, like, my rankings don't support what I'm actually doing. <laughs> so I, mean, I know you're saying, AJ, you're done with your rankings, but mine are ever evolving. And it's not because somebody's changing my mind. It's almost like maybe I missed something or I didn't take it seriously. Or when push comes to shove, I really am taking like Jose Abreu over Jesus Aguiar. I was, I had that opportunity. I needed a first baseman with power and I actually took Abreu and that was not what I thought I would do. Does it matter to you that when we're in a draft like this one that you reference, that when you look at the rankings going by ADP, we're seeing things like closers routinely being left at the top of the board, ordinary corner infielders being left at the top of the board. Do you adapt to this at all? Because it seems to me the market is, is pricing saves. At least in terms of the ADP we're looking at in that draft, they are pricing saves more heavily than I'm willing to do it. I'd rather pay for the top tier and ignore these. They're guys. pricing saves higher because there aren't more than 15 guys that you can count on. It's why I took Cody Allen. I don't, don't like him, but I need 30 saves. I think he can do that. So I look at when I look at other sites' ADP, or even ours for that matter, I, I take it kind of seriously, but only as AJ said, I can wait a couple more rounds. Mm-hmm. If I know nobody's taking Hunter Renfro, I'll wait. And a 15 15- team expert league like the one we're in now. Winker just went. I can't even wait on him anymore. Him. Was that with you? That was, was you. Me. That was me. And you I got a nasty comment from about it. Do I need to sit in you between you guys one. from now on? No, he's dancing, so <laughs> he got, should be got, in between. I got soundly criticized. And this is a, a Roto 5x5 five five league, but I like the guy. All right. Yeah. No, I do too. So I guess over the next couple of weeks, I'm learning more that maybe I hadn't learned about like Stats in the second half of the season, injury potential, maybe this injury isn't healing as well, playing time like for Winker could be a factor there as well. Um, yeah, the, only, the, the only other thing I might I might take a look at is if there's been a major overhaul of a coaching staff 
and perhaps like you know uh, Joey Gallo's now got a new new hitting coach and Luis Ortiz like you know do you see him more you know hitting the ball the other way versus you know trying to pull the ball? Yeah, you, that's a good mm-hmm. point. Chili Davis. Yes, yeah, so I've seen numerous tweets from people saying I don't think he's a good hitting coach. Would that concern you? It, it might if I, and if I see uh, a distinct difference of approach at the plate in spring training. Yeah, it is spring training. People try things. They might reject it out of hand by the time the season starts when it counts. It's like, like oh, my salary's on the line. I'm not going to try that anymore. But certainly those are situations where I might pay close attention um, and might wiggle my stats a little bit. All right. Next year we'll talk about players to watch in spring training. And, and like you said, different approaches, best shape of our lives. This guy who never ran before has got eight stolen bases in spring training. That could matter. So we'll I'm, to I'm in a shape of my life, so that's good. Don't do well, that again. Had the shape <laughs> of Come on, my Bartolo, life. Bartolo Colon can do it. So can I. Just, you know, no gifts. Yes, please get on your treadmills. All right, that is all for today's fine Fantasy Focus Baseball show. Thank you so much for le- downloading, listening, whatever you do, and also contributing the questions on Twitter for everybody. That contributes to this show. Kyle Sapi, uh, editorial watchdog Leo Howell, Daniel Dopp, AJ Masters, and Cockroft. I am Eric Carabell. Thanks for listening, and we'll be back in a couple weeks. Everything is awesome. Usually, don't you usually say have an awesome day? Have an awesome day. Everything is awesome. Darkness. You're going to run it that way, aren't you? Yeah, probably. Uh, Yeah. Yeah.